you can get into that headspace of looking at this as an opportunity, you can actually go, well, this is a great chance actually to assess maybe things that weren't, weren't working as well or really figure out what the core business is or really double down on what we do want to do in this time. So it's, it's really hard to, to take that mindset when there's fires everywhere or you've got the boat and it's sinking. But if you can get into that headspace where you're actually using it as an opportunity to, to, to optimise the way you do things or, or, or look in different directions, I, I think that's a good idea. That's hopeful and that's sort of future thinking. But it's based on the fact you've already patched the thing and you're still floating. Um, you know, as business owners, though, what I would say is that it's okay to feel terrible in this time. Like, it's okay to feel absolutely distraught and distressed. And it might take a couple of years to actually recover from that, and that is okay. You know, so to keep operating during that time where you're feeling just terrible is a totally normal human experience. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Stuart Austin, design thinker and advisor. Stu is also a lecturer in design thinking at Carnegie Mellon University in Australia and runs a teaching business Austin Bloom with his wife, which specialises in flowers and design for events and floral products. In this time of COVID-19 chaos, it was fascinating to chat about the weird and opportunities of the world we are in. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... All right. Thanks for joining us today, Stu. I'm going to start right back. Um, what were you like as a kid? What were you like as an eight-year-old? It's a great question. Um, I actually turned eight in Hong Kong. Uh, so we'd been living in Hong Kong for a year and a half, which was a very mind-expanding experience for myself as a child, and I think a very formative one, so I'm very grateful for that. Um I, was, I think I was a relatively serious kid, thinking back on it. I loved reading and still do, so I was a real bookworm, um, and that sort of followed me through, through my whole life. Uh, I was very much into Lego and pulling things apart, um, somewhat destructively often. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I was quite interested in how things work and, and, and the way stuff is is cobbled together and um, obviously reading as well, so very much exploring ideas and concepts. Um, and I guess the, the, the other thing that was a fairly fairly big part of myself, I reckon, I reckon I was pretty serious about faith and trying to understand God and stuff like that. So that was... In what um, way? So how, how do you sort of... What, what was... What was, um, was that a curiosity about understanding it or was it a... Um, like yeah. A connection or... 
Yeah, certainly both of those. So I, I grew up in a family that um, went to church and, and all the rest of it. So I guess I was trying to figure it out. Um, I think I was probably serious because cause I felt some sort of urgency, um, for better or worse, by the way things were described to me as a child. So I was like quite concerned about it as well. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that was good. But I think uh, at the same time, there was maybe a little playfulness and sort of free exploration that perhaps was lost as a child. So, yeah, it was a, it was a funny mix. I'm, I'm very grateful for it, but it was a um, definitely a journey for sure. Yeah. Did you did you like stay in Hong Kong for most of your childhood, or did you move around a bit more? Or what? we we were there for about a year and a half. Yeah, uh, myself and siblings and family. Prior to that, uh, my mum and dad had moved around through Glasgow and um, Scotland in particular uh, for work and the like. So I was relatively well travelled as a child. I uh, can't remember most of it, um, but certainly can remember Hong Kong. Um, but then we came back to back to Adelaide to be more with family and opportunities here. Yeah. So your originally family was originally from Adelaide. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah mum's side, and then dad was from um, Tasmania. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you, looking back, how does how does your child inform the adult within you? I think those. I think I think all of those traits are still fairly strong. Um, I've I've perhaps lost some of the seriousness. Like I'm very serious, but I've I've learnt a lot of playfulness and creativity and exploration as well. Um, certainly. Reading was a big part of life, and I think the the ability to learn from that uh, is so important. There was one stage in year eleven or year twelve when I was at school where I sort of stopped reading, um, and I think that was one of the worst things I could have done. Uh, I was I was attempting to become, you know, one of the cool kids or, or change my persona uh, at the school I was at, and so. You know, I decided that reading had to go. Um, and so for a period of time, it did. Uh, but now I've come back to it really strongly, and I think that's really crucial. And I think the sort of inventor mindset that I had as a child, I'm really embracing now too. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really fighting it anymore. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so pulling, getting back to pulling things apart, for example, and just figuring out how stuff works, I think yeah. really interests me. Yeah. So do you read fiction or non-fiction? Uh, I'm reading classics at the yeah. moment, a lot of classics. So, uh, but I, I love, I love both fiction and non-fiction at the same time. And then, mm. um, I'm reading, uh, the comic XKCD, um, Randall. He wrote a book called, um, uh, what if? Which is scientific answers to absurd questions. Yeah, okay. um, so I love that sort of stuff as well. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty keen to get into a decent fantasy series though as well. That'd be a really nice escape at the moment. So yeah, um, yeah. maybe I'll look into a nice series. That's right. Um, we've had a couple of guests that have talked about suspending disbelief, how important it is for innovation and and the likes. But we, as a as a community, um, don't always um, yeah don't always embrace suspending our disbelief. Um, yeah. yeah. So there we go. Yeah. And particularly at these times when it sort of goes all very weird, you've got to sort of, it's, 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 it's kind of weird and 
it's hard to kind of believe what's what's going on. What what's the what's the weirdest thing you've seen over the last week? The weirdest thing I've seen over the, the last thing week. You've seen it's sort of gone. Wow, that, that's that's just really, you know, unsettled, or or it might have been in a positive way. Yeah, sure. I think it would have to be just observing how people are acting out in public at the moment. I think I think we're seeing this whole gamut of human reaction to the situation and different people expressing this in different ways. And I think it's very, it's quite surreal to see that playing out in a physical space. So say you go to Coles, for example, and you're seeing certain types of human behaviour which are just not normally seen. Um, it's 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 disconcerting in that it's a new experience. I think in other in other places in the world, some of these things are a lot, are a lot more common and a lot more normal. But I think for our society, um, seeing these things is is pretty odd. Yeah. Um, so people people avoiding each other or not knowing whether to to cue too too closely or how have conversations mm-hmm. or whether they should wear masks or not or yeah, there's a lot of confusion and anxiety and then coupled with the fact that humans still need to interact, I think it's it's pretty odd. Yeah. Um, you get some pretty odd things happening. Yeah, it, yeah. it is a weird topsy-turvy world, isn't it? It's sort of, I, I, I was on the... Um... I was in the car just before and, and someone was talking about that. They, they were in the process of writing a book about if a, um, if a virus hit Australia, <laughs> um, which, which, um, which sounded like it was, like they said, well, now it's kind of almost like it's, it's, the, it's the wrong book, it's too late. But it was sort of um, these things that you don't anticipate coming. But, um, but when they hit, yeah. it kind of really takes us by surprise. Is it, do you, I, we're, we're, I guess we're sort of, Guess by the commentators, relatively early on in all of this, what what are you sort of seeing as sort of um, what it, what it all means? What it all means for I guess you can take it from whatever direction you like. What it means for business, what it means for um, innovation. What, what what are you seeing, Stu? Yeah, or is it too early to say? I think. I think it means a lot of different things, but I think what we could say unequivocally is that it is definitely a big reset. Mm. Whatever the outcomes and whatever people do going forward, this is a massive, this is like someone's just hit the reset button in a pretty big way. So I think on a personal level, I was, I'll, I'll consider the personal level first and then, and then talk more about the business side of things. I think on the personal level, this represents a situation which is out of our control, more or less. Now, we can try and control it, and we are trying to, but we still don't know really what will happen. And there is every chance that any one of us could die. It's the nature of the beast. So we're suddenly, if we haven't before, faced with this very real prospect of death and then what that means for us. And the fact that we can't do anything about it. So we've had the luxury, I think, as a civilization in our world, in our part of the world, you know, Australia, that we can have fairly instant gratification and always on services and a relatively safe environment, which is just not, um, I guess, what most people experience. It's, it's not the normal experience. And actually, as humans, we come from 
scarcity and and difficult difficulty. We just haven't experienced it in our generation. So here we are. We're back at this place where we've got this difficulty and we've got this sort of real um, real challenge staring us in the face. So seeing people's seeing people's reactions, uh, what I'm seeing happen is a, is a lot more community being developed and people reaching out to each other to see if they're going okay. Yeah. And that paradigm shift from where we were prior to this happening to now, you know, if, if you look at it before, we were sort of, we were being fed information, social media, you know, constant updates, this kind of quite um, intense way of ingesting information, not really doing anything about it, but just always kind of jittering along, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're taking the time to actually ask each other how we're going. I mean, that's a huge shift of general human perception, and I think a really good one. Um, so you're seeing people banding together and starting to, to work things out and help each other actually actually do stuff. And then, you've, and then you've also got the fact that people have lost their complete livelihoods, this abs- absolute destruction of stuff that they've worked towards. So I suppose in that... You know, as a business owner or as a as an anyone that's lost something in this process, I'm really challenged with my identity and kind of where I put my values before because now they're not there. So all of this stuff that I've worked for, material and um, practical uh, aspects aside, I've now lost that thing that I've worked on. Now I've got to redefine myself or or reinvent myself. So I think it's. The, the impact is huge for people. I think it's 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 probably bigger on a personal level than business. I mean, businesses are being destroyed left, right, and centre as well. But there's always opportunities as well in the destruction. So um, you know, things will change and, and new things will come out of it. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would say like this current situation has been uncovering sort of people's personal values and what's really important. And it's also putting a lot of stresses on people in different ways as well. So, for example, if I'm now a stay-at-home dad and I've got to actually understand and work with my kids, whereas before I was investing all of that time into growing and building business. Yeah, that's right. That's huge. Um, arguably a good thing, actually, in some ways, but still a massive transition. Um, and then, of course, that's going to bring all the tensions of being at home to, to actually be in that environment with your children and you know your partner or whatever as well and, and all the all the complexities that come out there especially if there's things that have been avoided over the past so yeah a real shake-up a real shake-up. Seems, it's changing every week isn't it really i i wrote something at the end of february and it was talking about um, australian economy and our, our, our larger groups on the asx uh, a, a banking and a bit of mining, and there's one biotech company on there as, as well. But um, or uh, yeah, immunisation, I think they're, they're about. Um, but by and large, we're not. We haven't really moved into the into the future. Um, and there's a bit of a burning deck for change sitting there. And then suddenly, all of this occurs, and it's really rolled out very quickly. And each week, I think there's a different, almost a different, a different tone. Like early on, it was probably okay to. And there's a few memes going around about or memes going around about um, just making a bit of humour out of a, a tricky situation and now it's sort of, it's not funny and I, and I think you're right, the community's coming yeah. back together. I, I guess my observation was the bushfires brought out a lot more community 
I guess my concern yes. about the COVID-19 was it was a bit more self-preservation. But I think yeah, we're kind totally. of, we are seeing a bit more of the community popping out, which is which is great. I think we've just realised there's lonely people and, and how do we support them. And um, I, I, I agree. I think it's a, a lot of it. It's, it's the site... It's the economic, but it's 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 the psychology of it all. It's knowing how to actually how we manage all of this when we didn't. It was just like a, a king hit from the side that we didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I, I certainly agree with you there. I think you're right. That um, I think initially, you know, you're seeing this whole range of reactions to the to the problem come out. So a lot of people jump straight into that self preservation mode. Or a lot of businesses do, mm-hmm. do too, where they're um, they're like, okay, how do we how do we protect our own interests? But now, as it becomes the new normal, I think yes, we're maybe starting to connect more and communicate more and actually reach out to people in need. Like I saw a guy that was just on on the news, a, a guy that was sitting in the um, queue at Centrelink. He was in hospitality. He's got a wife and a sick kid. And he was just broken. And you go, well. So there's, there will be a change between sort of protecting our own interests and then starting to help others, and I think that will probably start to happen more and more. Mm. I think it's hard watching as well, just just the different things that come out in times like this. Like you always get the opportunists as well, um, whether they're personal, you know, on a personal level or a sort of, a sort of corporate or organisational level. So some organisations, you know, I was chatting to them and they're, to people that work at them, they're like, oh, it's just business as normal, it's still coming into work. And these are, these are big organisations. And they said, oh, we, we actually had a meeting recently where, um, you know, we've we've realised that because of this thing, a whole lot of smaller players are going to be able to, will drop out of the market, they'll be gone, and we can mm. actually take some more market share. And you go, well, okay, if you look at it just from a purely business perspective and opportunities and and growth yeah that kind of makes sense but it's just not really the most robust approach i think to the situation in in this case like trying to land grab at times like this is just it's just it's it's just a relatively um despicable thing i think to be doing it's bad karma isn't it It, 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 it's just it's bad karma there was i was watching abc news um a few mornings ago um it all sort of seems like a blur. I think the time just seems to to be stretching. But I think it was a few days ago, and um, could have been Monday. And and there was a they were reading out an email that Jerry Harvey of the um, Harvey kind of uh, appliance uh, group, oh, yeah. group. Right. He, yeah, he, he had an email or something, or no, maybe it must might have been a, a social media share. I'm thinking um, basically saying that this is okay and it's not not that bigger bigger health issue and and we're selling more of this appliance and this appliance and 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 we'll grow as a result of it and it just and they made a comment they said businesses might be thinking about how do we take how do we make opportunity out of this and how do we we innovate but it's the tone and the way in which it's said you've got to be so so careful of i think it's so what, what, what would you say businesses we're 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 towards the end of march um what would you say businesses and other leaders should be doing at this point in time? I was thinking about an analogy or a little story that might make sense. It's it's like you've been sailing a ship and you've hit a reef. So you've got this whopping great hole punched in the side of your boat and, you, and you're starting to sink. Now, some people have sunk completely. Mm. So I'll talk about those in a tick. But let's talk about the ones that 
uh, sort of thinking. So the first thing I think as business owners that you, you want to be doing is patching the hole. So just doing your damage control, which is unfortunately, you know, shutting down non-essential services that you yourself use as a business so you can stop the hemorrhaging of money, um, figuring out ways to work with the staff that you've got and try to transition what you currently do into a, a new direct way of doing things um, but not lose momentum as much as possible. And I guess ultimately lay off as few staff as possible for the sake of your business but obviously and and balance that then with the financial constraints as well where you will have to let people go too in in most cases um so so i i think just writing this chip and just keeping it floating um maybe not moving but just floating so it doesn't sink completely i think that's really important what happens is though is as you do that you're going to uncover a whole lot of inefficiencies and things that maybe weren't necessary when the business was running well. So if, if you can get into that headspace of looking at this as an opportunity, you can actually go, well, this is a great chance actually to assess maybe things that weren't, weren't working as well or really figure out what the core business is or really double down on what we do want to do in this time. So it's, it's really hard to, to take that mindset when there's fires everywhere or you've got the boat and it's sinking. But if you can get into that headspace where you're actually using it as an opportunity to 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 optimise the way you do things or, or, or look in different directions, I, I think that's a good idea. That's hopeful and that's sort of future thinking, but it's based on the fact you've already patched the thing and you're still floating. Um, you know, as business owners, though, what I would say is that it's okay to feel terrible in this time mm -hmm. like it's okay to feel absolutely distraught and distressed and it might take a couple of years to actually recover from that and that is okay you know so to keep operating during that time where you're feeling just terrible is a totally normal human experience um what's what's i think quite confusing is that the rhetoric on a lot of social media platforms or linkedin um or, or general news is you're sort of hearing people doing stuff and you're seeing them doing stuff and achieving things and moving forward in this time. That's great, but what you're not so much seeing is the human experience, you know, which is the terror that they're feeling most of the time, even though they're putting this stuff forward. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, <clears throat> it's... I think as a business owner, the more that you can accept and be comfortable with that just being completely uncomfortable in the situation because you will be um the more then you'll be able to have clarity to be able to see where you can do things and then sort of pick yourself up and keep moving forward yeah it's almost so, like anchoring isn't it really it's anchoring and sort of just finding that calmness and that reality and at least at the moment we're sharing the the angst it's not just one individual having their own yeah. challenges it's it's a shared complexity locally and globally um and obviously we've all got our different manifestations of all, all of that but it's 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 yeah. a shared thing um i wanted the other one is sort of it's it's probably a telling time of have you got a got a good strong culture it's I, like if you like yeah. the idea of and, and early on people were saying we're well, working remotely we've been doing it forever la di da di da particularly freelancers and the likes and you go but when you've got a team and and you're suddenly yeah. saying to your team they're all going to work remotely it's a and and some and and 
like the reality is some workers are great and some workers are, are, are not so great and, and and some workers will be diligent and, and other workers will um will drop the ball i remember hearing a Oh, a friend of a friend say that they had staff that they were a, that their, their job was sort of real estate and they needed to go out and do uh, property inspections and their staff came in saying, oh, can we work from home and get paid? And their their whole intention was to watch to not work and watch Netflix. So and it was quite. <laughs> so you're going well. How do you? But so it, it is a telling time of how do you, as a leader, I guess, ensure that your culture's you ha- you already had built your culture to a strength that they did respect the leader. But now you need mm. to more than ever to to drive this ship forward. Is it, it like? Do you, do you have any comment on sort of good cultures and how a good culture goes from being a a culture in a bricks and mortar building to a, a culture working kind of remotely? Yeah, absolutely. So, culture really tricky part of running a business. A really good culture is one that is self directed and respectful, open, honest, and full of integrity. Mm. If your business doesn't have a culture like that and you're relying on things like micromanagement or timekeeping or um, really like minute-by-minute sort of reporting, you're going to have a lot more difficulty working in a new way where you can't actually use any of those things. Mm. So, um, so you know, if if you've spent years developing a, a, a method of leadership which is sort of guiding by example and walking alongside people and actually helping them take charge of their own work and be responsible for the outcomes, that'll translate very easily across to remote work because they'll still be able to self-manage and self-produce and be self-driven and respectful in mm-hmm. that. So for, for an organisation that hasn't got that culture in place now, trying to work remotely, uh, I think that's going to be quite difficult. Mm. What I would suggest, so for an organisation that has traditionally re- relied on like direct management and, and typekeeping and all those sorts of other constraints or structural things to keep people on track, you'd need to move to a... a a sort of an outcome-driven mindset very quickly where instead of tracking a person's time and the tasks that they're doing, you're actually tracking the outcomes and their ability to produce something at the end of a given period of time yeah. and giving them the responsibility to do it and then building that trust and rapport over time. Um, and I think that's that an organisation with a good culture. I think that's what they can be doing as well. Um, so, you know, people that have worked sort of in gig in the gig economy or they've been freelancers and stuff like that they understand this it's where you pay me and i'm there to deliver an outcome Mm. in some shape or form it's less about the exact hours or time that it takes to do it um is that about clarity on what the outcome is i think there's sometimes when you've got staff and a supervisor can walk around and make sure people are active, whether they're actually really active or whether they're just looking like they're active, is a different situation to when they are working remotely and you and I don't know, you can't have a video on them all the time and checking that they're they're working. I guess you can probably I'm sure there's ways in which you can see are they how many sort of are they typing or not or are they act I'm sure there's things <laughs> you can do there, but that's that seems quite um quite complex sort of and like challenging. Asian. But is it about yeah. being much, much. Cl- Obviously, it's relying on the 
the ethics and the the, um, the 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 shared vision of the team, but also it must be about being clear about what the out, outcome actually is, what the outcome is. Required. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Clarity of clarity of outcomes or clarity of expectations, mm-hmm. spelling things out is absolutely critical. So. Whenever you're doing anything digitally or or via Zoom or Skype or or online, you have to be so clear about exactly what it is you're trying to explain, whether it's outcomes or a process or whatever it is. You have to be sort of explicit in the way that you explain stuff because you're not there with the person to get that immediate face-to-face feedback or communication. You can do a degree over over video mediums, get that. Um, but yeah, so really, really clear outcomes I think is important. Then I think developing routine conversation or, or, or check-ins where you're actually talking together and communicating together and, and, and getting stuff done. If the team's really advanced and, and very self-directed, those catch-ups can be less. You know, you won't need as many of them. But to start with, if you're trying to get into this way of accountability and being open and transparent, then I think having regular times to talk through things, and this is not booking in meetings for meetings sake. Like you have to move away from that mm-hmm. for sure. This is, this is, we've got this problem to solve or this thing to work, to work towards. Let's check in and see where everyone's at. If there are any blockers or whatever, it's a little bit like that stand up mentality mm-hmm. when you have with, with sprints or agile ways of thinking. But it's that routine um, check-in and, and just opening up the conversations, creating a safe space for people to talk about what they've been doing. But I think clarity of expectations, I think, is probably the the, the, the the most important thing. And it's even better if you can get the person doing the work to come up with those expectations and outcomes rather than you telling them what to do because that means they've owned it, they know what they need to do, they've figured out what they need to do and want to do, and then they're going to work towards it. So... Um, yeah, maybe that's an idea as well. Instead of sort of handing something or, or you know handing something over the fence, you're actually working with them to to co-design this set of outcomes which they can work towards. Mm-hmm. Then they've immediately got more ownership of it. So that's probably something I'd suggest is a good idea. What's really interesting is that the habits we've got in the workplace, even those you know strictly policed workplaces like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I don't know any other media platforms that the people do anyway at work. Now they're at home, and in one window they've got their work stuff, another window they've got Netflix or Facebook or whatever it is. So people's ability to manage their own work output and their own productivity is is going is going to be really challenged. Mm. Yeah, because you you don't have that structure of the workplace to kind of keep you on track anymore, which is like an imposed sort of That's right. um, set of constraints, really. Like, That's right. no, you you know you can't spend it all day on Facebook. Sorry, you can spend you know a bit of time here and there. We understand that. That's okay. You can be on there a few times through the day, whatever it is. Well, now they can be on it all day, and no one would know. So it's. Yeah, it's a paradigm shift, basically. Mm. Like People have to become self-motivated, passionate, and actually keen to actually do the work and then taking ownership of that. That's right. And even sort of like pre, pre all of this, 
staff by and large, this is why a lot of HR issues come in, by, by and large, I'd say 99% of the case, don't intend to be bad. <laughs> you know, like, even the best staff will have distractions. And, and at this point in time, maybe sort of checking Facebook on an ongoing basis because they've got maybe have loved ones elsewhere is exactly. a really critical thing. But it's kind of finding that balance, isn't it, really? And I, I wonder if it, I, I like your point about going at the moment it's kind of about leaders making sure you've got almost like the work of, of the good culture should have happened before, but but it's it's kind of just um, anchoring down and just, yeah, just this getting getting this new way of thinking happening and maybe in coming weeks it's about kind of going, well, how are we, what, what are some of the, I guess a lot of organisations have already got their guidelines going through, you would have hoped, but but almost being, they're, they're going to evolve. It's going to be ha- having, mm-hmm. having conversations, having the working progress meetings to make sure that there's clear clear conversations go- going through. Um, one, one, I guess one of the observations for me, I'd say the last decade was a decade of words like innovation, Agile thinking, um, resilience was another one, um, uh, design sprints, all of those things were sort of really the, the, the last last decade going through. Um, and this is kind of, I guess, a, a time when potentially all of those sort of things are, are more required. And I've probably had observations that uh, it, it, it is really, really hard, so I don't want to sort of downplay it at all, but a lot of people aren't resilient. A lot of people are really, really yeah. struggling, like really struggling. We, we, we've done some research in the last week or two and um, I'm pleased to say that a lot of people are, are coping okay. They're, they're not finding it great, but but they're by and large, they haven't gone into total meltdown, but it's it's not, not great. But by and large, they're okay. But a lot of people are really struggling more than more than what we, we might have expected. Might so I realize. guess it's sort of knowing yeah. where that... Where that, where that um, and maybe they might calm down as a, as the new reality kind of forms, and they feel a bit more comfortable. Maybe people might sort of relax a bit more. Your your area of specialisation, I'm assuming, um, and, and understanding is around that design thinking. Um, like, can you explain a bit more of that, Stu, of of what you've done in recent years, but particularly kind of how that might apply in the in the next few months, next six months? Definitely. Um... So yeah, I've, I've worked uh, as a design practitioner now for a number of years, um, sort of since 2004 really, um, and very much use design thinking in all of the work that I do. And, and a lot of design thinking, so it borrows uh, different tools and methodologies from fields of design. But it also centers very much around empathy and understanding the human condition or, or human behavior. So in design thinking, for example, understanding the real needs that people have and then creating or imagining or inventing solutions based on those needs mm. is, is kind of the, the, the really important thing. And then learning how to iterate. So knowing that whatever you come up with the first time won't be the best thing and that's okay you, you still do it and you test it and then you learn and then you do it again and test and learn and so on so you have this really this ongoing cycle basically and eventually you come up with very good products or ideas i think now we're seeing a lot of need from people so bringing in so bringing in that ability to empathize and uncover those sorts of needs that people might have mm. um can can work equally as a business or or as an individual. Um, I mean, it's 
sort of it sort of seems like real common sense, but actually often in in business we tend to sort of float away from the real needs of real people and when we get more into the land of assumptions and these cloudy sort of ideas and theories or it's it's this this now I think for people is process come come back down now to what people really need mm. associated with your business and then figure out solutions based on those and try things out. This is kind of unprecedented times like there's the the sands are shifting really right. quickly. I think people were so, assuming that they knew about their people. I know that's what we often would find. We've got great, we've sure. got great, great clients who always want to keep up to date with consumer needs and consumer trends and cultural trends. But a lot of organisations out there, I think the general sense is that we already know. We, we, we know why people do this and people do that. There's really clear sets of rules of how we market or how we make sure our customers are happy. And then, and then we kind of sit this situation now where we don't know. We, we, we really not quite yeah. sure of what's, what's occurring and how to make sense of it all. And, I guess the question in all of this is, is it too easy um, to think we know the answers or do we, need, do we need to allow time and I guess sort of that empathy you mentioned to, to start to get, to make more sense of it, to sort of start to build up that understanding? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think um, going, going to talk to the people like if you go out and talk to five people face to face or over over video calls at this current time, go and talk to them and actually ask them what's going on and, and create give them a safe space to talk. So you're not telling them what to say, which is the skill in itself. Mm-hmm. You will get very different information to, to whatever it is you think that it is you know about them or, or the market research that's been done. Mm-hmm. There's there's a paradigm shift between sort of market segmentation and research and all of those things as important as they are to actually talking to someone and actually figuring out what their real problems are. So yeah, it's, it's think, you know, before, before this virus hit, you might've been fairly comfortable thinking that, you know, who your people are and, and what they think about that you know your customers mm-hmm. and and we know them because my daddy knew them and his daddy daddy you know like this is how it's been done for time in memoriam well that's just not going to work anymore actually it probably wasn't working then either yeah. but now it's really obvious so go and talk to people face to face and actually take the time to understand them put your assumptions and whatever it is you think you know some of those may well be right you know a lot of that stuff may be correct but put that aside and actually go and just let people talk and understand them. You know, um, you know, with counselling or in relationships where for me to actually just pipe down and listen to someone is so important to actually hear what they're saying yeah. and just put aside my own opinions. It's that same principle, but mm. with, with your customers or with your business or your new business. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I think as a, as a business or, or an organisation, if you can put aside your assumptions, know that they're important and that you can come back to them, but just put them aside and actually just go and talk to real people and, and, and make sure you actually listen to what they're saying, then you're going to get some very interesting insights or ideas come out of that. Mm. Um, 
in this time, I'm not exactly sure how you might go about talking to your customers, um, but I'm sure there's people willing to help and give advice or give their thoughts and opinions um, in a in a one-on-one interview or over the phone or mm. you know over Skype right. or something or Zoom. Yeah, I'm sure people a lot of people are wanting to talk and are wanting to share what they what they're going through. So. Yeah, and be heard. And I, yeah. And you'd never, you'd never want all of this to occur, and, and it's, it's a horrible thing that's occurring. Um, but we'll often, I, th- I think, you do the same thing. You talk to your clients about you need a, you need a burning deck for change. You need to, you need to yeah. motivate that change because I think we do get a bit more um, complacent than we'd like sometimes in organisations or, or government are the, are the same because we've, we've been doing this and it seems to be working, and um, or, or we've worked in the same sector forever, so we just keep on rolling through the same things. We have this, like the bushfires was one. A bush, the bushfires was a, I guess a, a, a conversation around the Australian bushfires was a conversation around climate change and around um, yeah. how do we make sure that uh, we're supporting our volunteers better and, and and fundraising and all of those things were there. And then in this one, it's a there is it's a, it's a global like burning deck for change. So it's it's horrible and it's yucky. And um, I was doing a bit of research yesterday and wrote an article about um, the impact of World War Two. So the World War Two yes. was horrible. I think it went on for um, yeah many more years than than this. Um, yeah, and and um, hopefully anyway. But um, uh, yeah, that's the way we're predicting it anyway. But uh, but but out of that came the boomer generation and and became like TV and and music and consumerism and, and a whole lot of that had a massive economic growth in the couple decades uh, that that followed or a few decades that followed followed that. So yeah, yeah. is that burning deck now? I guess I look and I I see that there's this. Even last year, I was sort of looking at things like we're counterbalancing globalization. There's that. There's, there were yeah. there was even pressure back last year of maybe global's not always the right thing. Maybe we need to be yeah. thinking more local, local communities, um, and we're certainly seeing that come to the fore. The idea of growth, like so, every every business was focused on growth. Boards needed growth. Small businesses wanted growth, and now the the flip side of that is sustainability, economic, mm. environmental, and the health mm. system. So we're really mm. almost being forced to reassess what we're wanting. So. Geez, it'd be great to see businesses, big and small, going. Well, maybe growth is not always the answer. Maybe boards yeah. will say we don't need to see our our um, share price exponentially growing yeah. all the time. Maybe maybe growth's not the right way. Um, do you have any yeah. any thoughts on that? Of trends you were seeing that maybe this is the burning deck for change that we we needed, even if we didn't want all of this to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Watching the watching the global play between countries has been quite interesting in this time. I think it was I don't know if it was Regan that said it would take an alien invasion to unite all of the world's countries, um, or it was a different president. But I was chatting to my brother about this just just a few days ago. Well, well we've got one, and it hasn't united us. Mm. You know, we've got this. We've got this. We've got this alien invasion, which is impacting every single country in the world, and it hasn't united the countries. So that's interesting. So then, what does that mean for all the global supply chains? What does that mean for countries that are going to be, you know, shoring up their own um, resources and and priorities first before they even consider helping other people? So. 
that that whole idea of alliances and and countries being together and you know the different global forces like socialism and capitalism playing against each other i mean a lot of that stuff's just been shot straight through in the face of this greater threat but what we haven't seen is any unification of people as the, as a whole or mm. countries we're seeing more bipartisan conversations mm. my sense is that the politics is by and large come out of the conversations i'm not saying it's always the way and i'm not sure we're we're always agreeing with the politicians but i'm i guess from my perspective knowing how hard it must be but by and large we're not finding the same liberal labor in australia kind of discussions around they should have done this they should have done that i think there's a general sense i'm getting that they're trying to to work together Do you, are you getting that or i guess that's yeah. a, it's such a unique thing as well because they're always bickering and it's a, a frustration amongst the general community and it kind of feels like maybe they're trying at least to to work together i very much get that sense i actually thought yesterday i, was, I thought wow this is the first time the government's actually worked as a government in a good way mm. this is fantastic uh, so i think um maybe there can be some real good come out of the the way the government different factions in the government actually work together for the greater good mm-hmm. you know actually figuring out how to solve the problems that actually need to be solved um not just bickering for bickering's sake but actually having proper socratic discussions and, and trying to figure out you know what's a better way of doing things or having good arguments that actually lead to better change not just playing the game of politics that's right i think so i think super I think there could be some real positives that come out of it. I, I would hope that there's some changes to the, the constitution and the way that different parties interact that leads to a more cohesive, you know, set of systems and approaches to to, to complex problems as a, as a nation. I mean, that would be wonderful. Mm. And maybe more long-term um, thinking. I, I, I look in particularly a lot of Western world politics is very short term it's the election cycle it's like you, you can oh, if, you, if you work yeah. with the government you go in that year that that first year of that term they'll be thinking like this in the final term they'll start spending money and and, and then but it's no like not no future thinking of even a 10 years ahead or 20 years ahead where there are countries that do have like china finland uh they've got longer yeah. term strategies so maybe we might find there's a bit more what are we trying to create as a culture? And, this is, and I guess that's the other positive from all of this um, horror is um, it's a burning deck of going, what, what do we want to be in the future? What, what is that sort of, what is our next 10, 20 years that there will be rubble and, and, um, and, and decay that's sort of left as a result of, of all of this? So hopefully we can kind of put our heads together to go, what are we trying to build next? Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a great opportunity for that. I think it's a great... Wouldn't it be nice if, if we could actually get to a place where we're solving problems mm. at, a, at a fairly large scale that aren't related to election cycles? I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic to disassociate those two things so that um, we could actually focus on solving the problems that really matter? Yeah, that's um, right. uh, That would just be f- so good. Um, so in terms of other, you know, the burning deck, the other thing that you mentioned was um, companies chasing share prices. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly been thinking a lot about this. I, you know the whole way that um, societies at large, we've built this sort of, we've sort of built this house of cards of 
financial systems, financial structures, shares of which are part of it. And, you know, this global, this global pandemic has kind of just like flattened that whole structure. It's, it's called into question a lot of different financial structures. I mean, we had the global financial crisis and we had all the, the housing market crash in America and all the rest of it, which triggered that. Um, but I think what we've been, I guess, guilty of for many years is abstracting finance and building systems on systems of finance, which are actually really flimsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find really interesting now is that the answer to this global pandemic from people is in the US to inject $2 trillion in the Australian economy, it's to inject whatever it is now. Can't remember. Yeah, I'm trying to think too, but yeah. A lot. Yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it's getting up to the hundred billion, isn't it? It was, it was some huge amount that they had one 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 package, and they had another package coming through, which is which is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. These things are phenomenal. So it's like we're sort of printing money, right, to solve these problems. And yes, it will keep certain systems going and 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 money in the economy. But is it actually really addressing the real problems that we've got here? Can you actually fix a pandemic by chucking money into a system? Mm-hmm. Well, I think probably what we're doing there is we're treating the symptom. We're not actually treating the cause. So the symptom is the economy is going down the gurgler. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, so how strong was it in the first place if a pandemic then can actually cause that that's to happen? Right. And I guess that's what I've observed. Like, and, and it's, it's I, I run a business and, 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 and certainly sort of you have those sort of those that self-doubt that comes with it but i've been quite surprised at how how short a period it took for things to crumble like psychologically we've talked about but economically like businesses falling apart in a in a week or two and and seemingly so that's that's the conversation anyway but it's it's quite remarkable that how little buffer we've got and and that that seems Mm -hmm. like a global thing of that there's a there's Mm -hmm. there's a relatively small buffer um, even when you start thinking about startups over the last decade, the, the whole path to a, a startup is you, you have an idea, you pitch that idea, you raise funding, investor funding, investor funding, investor funding, you, you seed, you, you seed A, B, C, um, and, and, and that's the way you grow a business, which, um, and maybe that's the way it needs to continue, but it's, it's an interesting one of going often the business model maybe isn't sound enough to actually warrant that money being yeah. thrown at it. And I think it's it's an inter, it's an inter, even at the moment we got getting the stimulus pack to go, well, I guess I'm trying to stay out of the conversation, but going, well, you don't know, well what what is that what are the things that are going to help to make solid a solid structure moving forward? At the at the moment, one you could you could probably lead it to say, if you are a business with some kind of sound model, but there's more money available. So there there actually is more money available potentially if if you've got that ability to kind of get that, but which is um, not not always positive, but it's going. How do you, yeah? What 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 how, what is the best way to actually kind of structure good business models into the future? I think is the key for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really good question, and I think if if people aren't already asking themselves, they should certainly start doing that. Yeah. How do you actually provide actual value to your actual customers who are actually loyal? Mm-hmm. 
It's, a, it's an interesting. You question. know, I mean, I mean, it's it's very easy to not design a business around those things. And I, uh, it's, yeah, but it's interesting because I, I know that the Royal Bank, uh, the um, uh, the Banking Royal Commission last year largely came back saying, well everybody in a bank was a, a salesperson. The, 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 the salespeople were selling, the advisors were selling, um, and they weren't yeah. acting um, with, with good faith to their customers. And often in yeah. businesses like that, it's more profitable not to be customer-focused and to be unethical, but being ethical is the right thing to do. So I guess it's what you hope from all of this as well is that I know, maybe people do start considering options, maybe new types of businesses come, come, um, come forward. Maybe there is a bigger sense of kindness in business. Do you, like we've been talking about business for good over the last few years, but sometimes yeah. there's not really a, an understanding of what that means or how do you have a business for good that's also sustainable? Do you have any mm. sense around what, that, what the current times might mean for businesses that are for good but also being able to sustain themselves? Certainly. <clears throat> what comes to mind is not-for-profits. So I'll just quickly chat about not-for-profits where technically they're trying to offer a service that is um, altruistic or well-meaning to a particular community or communities. So maybe they're trying to maybe they're trying to put wells in Africa so people can get water. So they're not for profit. They're not trying to put up their share prices. They're basically trying to achieve these goals and get this infrastructure in place, which costs money. So they've got a financial system. That not for profit that's trying to put those wells in Africa can be run really well, or it can be run terribly. Mm. In terms of its financial modelling, its business operations and processes, and the way they actually take funds that they get and put them into place, I've worked for not-for-profits which just have terrible back-end systems and terrible financial management. Those not-for-profits would do well to basically take as serious a look at their operations and how they manage finances as a, as a business that is profitable and needs to actually create value and drive up its share price. Then the business that is, you know, for profit, I think they do very well to look at the heart that is behind not-for-profits and how they actually go about meeting real needs and the sorts of things that they put their effort into. So in terms of business for good, there's nothing wrong with being profitable, but why don't we try to actually centre that around solving problems that matter for real people? or things that people really need, or the for good part of it. Mm -hmm. Let's actually put some time into figuring what, what that is. Um, let's come, let's just put the finances aside for a moment, come back to that. Once we've figured out what our core prerogative is or our core focus is, and then once we've got that dialed, we can start figuring out how to operate efficiently and bring profit in and create value and all the rest of it, but it's coming out of a place that's, it's coming out of a centered place. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like you're putting the heart back into a business that's become callous and cold over the years. And yeah, it's just yeah, this okay. kind of golem, this hollow hearted 
algorithm script driven monster that's just like chewing up its enemies and getting bigger as it eats them. And you go, well, no, let's actually put the heart back in this thing and figure out how to give it a purpose and an intent that can actually then ironically create a lot more profit if it's done properly anyway, because it's coming out of a good place. Um, and, and give all the employees and people that work there a real sense of good too. Yeah. And this this sounds potentially like a time when that, 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 opportunity might might exist um as we move f- f- further further through all of this mm. um mm. but what you're coming back to is it's finding that like like simon cynics um the, the why why you exist rather than sort of w- what you sell it's sort of really been very very clear about what problem you're solving um and then looking at the financial model around that so you you mentioned as you went through about i guess cost efficiencies and are there other ways in which i guess bringing like what, what? What are some of the tools to make sure that you have a a business a business that's for good, but it's also sustainable financially? Do you, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Obviously, efficiencies and and having it so the team are, are connected with that that shared vision. But what, what how else do you do to do that? Because often for good might not necessarily yeah have a financial model behind it. I think that the first thing is knowing and understanding pretty clearly what your for good part is. Mm. So what it is you're trying to do, for whom, why, and all that sort of stuff. So it's really understanding that bit like a manifesto, I suppose. But it's it's having a good grasp of what that for good is, you know, what the purpose is and all that sort of stuff. I think then I would be suggesting that to, to actually test out the things that you want to do in that space, that you're sort of taking that rapid prototyping approach where you're trying an idea, you're testing it out with the the particular group that you're doing the for good for, mm-hmm. and your part of part of those tests or those hypotheses is the fact that well this thing this has to be profitable or it has to actually create value or someone's got to want to pay for this service or you know, there's 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 growth somewhere in the in the system, and this is how we're going to test it. So we're going to try out this idea. It's not everything. It's a part of it, like it's a smaller subset of the overall vision, maybe. We're going to test this out, see how it works, see if we can um, be profitable with it. If not, we're going. If 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 we need to reconsider things, we'll do that because we'll learn from this and then we'll improve mm. it, and eventually we will get to a place where it is profitable, and then we can move on to another project. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost like going. Here's the concept and evolving that concept, that product, that service, and exploring, I guess, price points or financing models. So is this a, I don't know, for example, is this a subscription service that we're going to offer? Um, are there value adds we can put in for higher level um, price points or is this a, a one-off price? So it's really almost looking at the, the different pricing models that might be palatable from a user perspective. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so if you do get to a palatable price model or pricing structure, well, you've, you're doing the for good bit. You're meeting the needs of people. You're offering them a service they, they want or a product or whatever it is. And now you've validated that they're actually willing to, to, to invest in that. So, um, it's, it's a little like, it's a little like going back to 
ground zero a bit. Instead of assuming that you've got customers and assuming that they're there for you to use and to make profit from, you're actually having to meet them where they're at. Mm. Saying that it just seems so obvious now in this time because of the great need that everyone has, the the sort of general brokenness that people have, it sort of makes a lot more sense to be saying that now, but it's actually the case any time. It's just that we're able to abstract it away and not have to face up to it a lot normally. Mm. Well, what was normal, this is the new normal, I suppose. Yeah. Um, there's, there's always a balance. I think, you know, when we were running our business for, for seven years, it took us about five years to get to a point where we actually knew um, based on what was going out the door or being invested in whether or not we were making money, but it took a lot of financial modelling to get to that point. I think probably if we'd bitten off less than we did and done a few less things earlier on. So we just focused maybe on one or two core things and we'd really tested them out and hammered them until we figured out, you know, whether or not they were profitable mm-hmm. and still giving people a service they required. That would have been easier than trying heaps of different ideas and having lots of assumptions and different business streams and processes and structures and workshops and all this sort of stuff. And it was very big and, and, and yeah, it was successful, but we didn't really know until five years in added, you know, like dollar by dollar detail whether or not we were being profitable at a given point in time. It was very hard for us to understand that. We had a perishable goods business with the flowers. So, um, but that's five years too late, right? In terms of having that information, really you want to know if, if does someone w- want what I have now that we've developed now and are they willing to pay for it? So, yeah, but starting okay. off simple, it sounds like sort of getting that, that financial modelling is critical, but maybe starting off of a seed and letting that seed grow simply yeah. rather than planting a thousand seeds, sort of trying to have it so there's a there's a clear thing you're looking at to they can uh, build and grow and yeah. learn. If there's too many too many balls in the air, you'll 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 drop more balls. But if you've got a, a few balls that you or, or one ball in particular, or a couple that you're you're playing with, you can actually kind of keep your eye on the ball a little bit better. Yeah, yeah it's sort of, yeah, that's right. It's moving out of that reactive sort of headspace of just doing more and adding more systems and doing more stuff, and actually just stripping it back and going, okay, well, let's get a few things right and working well. Um, I believe that'll lead to a much greater chance of success, so to speak, in terms of balancing, you know, for good businesses and profitability. So um, if you do everything at once, basically you get into a world of systems and operations very quickly. And that's more stuff to maintain. That's more staff to maintain the systems and then more systems for systems and, and all these, you know, processes that you need to get in place to actually just stay moving are you even needing any of that stuff? Is it even services that people want? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Like, yeah, that's good. So, finishing, I'll yeah. close off the, the discussion. But I've got one final point that I finish all of these discussions off with, and we'll keep some consistency going through. What would you suggest yeah. to young people moving forward into the future? And that could be young people, um, age-wise, or um, mentally young people 
keeping the child alive, whatever, whatever you, um, whatever you want to take it. Yeah. For young people going into the future, I think the first thing I would say to them is that this is not an abnormal experience for the human race. There's been plenty of these before. It's just that we haven't experienced them now. So this this particular experience is going to form, like this, this virus, this global pandemic, this is going to form your worldview and the way that you do things going forward. So learn from it as much as possible. Observe how other humans are responding to it and figure out for yourself, you know, what you would do differently to to progress yourself or or your studies or your research or your businesses based on your observations of other people. Basically use the information that's around you to actually figure out how you want to go forward. So the last thing I would suggest, don't just sit there and, and wait for stuff to change or, or um, for, for someone to make things right. That's not necessarily going to happen. The options you've got here are to actually grasp the situation for what it is and figure out what you can do within that. So adapt, you know, learn new tools or, or ways of doing things like try new ideas. This is actually an unprecedented time where there's a lot of opportunities as well because everything's changed. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like um, we've all been playing a board game for years. Yeah. And, you know, there's been very successful people. There's been people that haven't been successful, whatever success is. But, you know, there's that whole ranking. We look at other humans and we think, okay, where do I fit on the ladder? Anyway, so we've been playing this game. And this wild card has come into this game, which is to flip the rules. It's basically reverse the rules. And a lot of those people that were achieving great things are now the worst off, mm. um, which is just this, this massive shift. So there's actually huge opportunities for everyone um, to, to, to look at things differently. Um, so if you can take that sort of more positive outlook but have a lot of empathy and compassion for those that are hurting, I think that's really important as well, um, especially if you are one of them. Um, so young people going forward, yeah, it's... <clears throat> I think remembering as well that as we just happen to have been living in a fairly comfortable bubble for a fairly long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you go over to Syria, basically they're losing family members. People are losing family members every day from, and they've got no homes. So our experience has been one of many experiences. And I think, you know, up to date, um, it was very different, obviously, to what it is now. What we're experiencing now is a lot like what other people experience every day of their lives um, or in, you know, refugee camps or, Uh, war-torn countries so don't take for granted what we've got because because it can be torn away very quickly 
um, figure out how to be resilient in this and how to find an internal strength, I suppose. Um, you know, I think I'd be looking at that sort of stuff pretty seriously as well, just where you find your identity and, mm -hmm. and your meaning as well. Um, the relationships that you've got are important, so figure out how to maybe nurture them differently, maybe put less emphasis on work and achievements and business and more on building out relationships and community and, and stuff that matters ultimately in the long run. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think those things are pretty important. That's great. Just well, I had, just had a thought, just a final point, just, just nice and uh, tight before we finish up. What's made you laugh over the last week? <laughs> or, or brought you joy? Made you laugh or brought you joy? Um, definitely my... 20 month year old daughter who's just pretty grumpy at the moment, <laughs> um, frankly. And that's nothing to do with amusing. COVID 19. So. And that's nothing to do with COVID 19. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely bringing a lot of joy and laughter um, and tears of frustration as well. So, um, yeah, that's just a wonderful part of life. Yeah. All right. For sure. Thank you so much, Joel. Um, yeah, wish you all the best.